Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week's episode of the Platinum Sabrero Podcast is brought to you by the Department of Sequel Control. If you feel like you deserve better than White Chicks 2, Leprechaun in Space, and Jason Takes Manhattan, good news. Our organization is already working to ensure that box office tanks like these never get made in the first place. Because you shouldn't have to suffer through a 15th Fast and Furious movie, or be subjected to yet another remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you know as good as I do, there was never any reason to make Boondock Saints Part 2. Once we establish time travel, we'll go back to 2009 to make sure that Avatar never gets made, and will save you from the four sequels which are currently in production. Also, coming this fall, the Department of Sequel Control, Part 2. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to the Platinum Sombrero Partnered with Armchair All-Americans and the Grueling Truth Network, brought to you by TickSplits, the number one new ticket producer for online ticket sales. Whether it is a concert or a sporting event, TickSplits is the number one place to go. And why is that? Because they do not charge you a seat fee. You don't need to pay for the privilege to buy a ticket online. TickSplits understands how dumb that philosophy is, so you know what they did? They just, eh it away with it so you can do if you want everybody else to follow suit throw your support behind tick splits a great up-and-coming company they've got some fantastic tickets they've got great deals on those tickets as well and if you use our promo code armchair they're going to give you five percent off your ticket purchase at the checkout TickSplits.com, the new way of buying tickets online so as we get into the show, uh, a couple things. You may have noticed a new intro there a little bit, and that is because we are officially a year old. Last week was our, our one-year anniversary, and what a year it has been. So we figured for season two, we would uh, we we'd change things up a little bit without getting away from what was still the best intro in the business. So... Um, Hope you guys enjoy the new the new the new intro. If you guys have any comments or or uh, concerns about it, you can you can feel free to reach out to us as well. Um, Doc, how's your week been? You know, it was uh, it was pretty good. It was it was nice and low key. It was nice to be uh, 
nice to have a weekend back in Georgia. I was in, in Minnesota the previous weekend. It was negative eight degrees the day that I left. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's nice being back here. Uh, how about yourself? Will you do any uh, early birthday celebrations? Well, my birthday was yesterday. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm at that age where, like, birthdays aren't really – super spectacular more than anything they tend to just mean that oh cool i have to go spend a bunch of money on my tag and stuff uh, renew my license and all that good stuff but uh it was, it was pretty good nice and low-key nice and relaxed um thank you to everybody out there by the way who uh, i got a, a ton of, of messages on facebook and on twitter uh just wishing happy birthdays so thank you to all of those of you who did send me and reach out a little bit really appreciated those kind of made my day a little bit um as far as that goes, Doc and I are going to be getting together this weekend, so what should be very, very fun. Looking forward to that. But we do have to talk some Braves before we get into anything else. Um, Tuki Tucson on the mound in one of the split squad games today, kind of getting a measure of revenge, uh, came out and, and was completely on key, on target. So what happened last week where nothing worked out and it was a horrible start for him? Complete 180 this week. Everything was working and went three innings, four Ks, just a, a fantastic outing. But between him and Bryce Wilson, who started the other split squad game, uh, I believe it was, what, six innings, no runs, six Ks between the two of them, I believe? Yeah, just one walk, too. It's uh, They both had kind of had, had rough starts. It wasn't just Tukey. I mean... Tukey got absolutely destroyed, so he got kind of vindicated because it was against uh, against Detroit. He got he got a little bit of revenge against them. But seeing seeing Bryce uh, put his bad start behind him as well, the viability for both of these guys in that fifth starter role, you know, it kind of it kind of depends on who you really think is going to be able to, to take that step forward. But they're they're both still in big league camp, so they're both options for now. So if they can pitch like they did today, I wouldn't have a problem with either of them filling that role. And in the, the game in Jupiter against the Marlins, what ended up being essentially just a prospect versus prospect game, if you look at, at the, the pitchers used for the Braves in that game, it will get you fully erect. Uh, it was nothing but prospects down the list, and they were all fantastic. It was uh, oh my. <laughs> started with Bryce Wilson. Kyle Muller was outstanding. Tucker Davidson got in the action, was great. Corbin Klaus with yet another perfect inning. There was there was a lot to like about that game. Uh, Christian Pache with, with another hit. <clears throat> uh, all, all the young guys looking really good. Alex Jackson just continuing his tear of a spring. Going, he's 6 for 15 at this point. Uh, just, just some outstanding work from a lot of the young players players we touched on alex a little bit last week um i kind of want to dig into that a little bit more we got cut off pretty quick last week because we had our our guest join us right in the middle of that talk so i kind of want to throw back to that question doc Uh, you and i no bones about it we're not going to pretend like we haven't uh completely buried alex jackson as far as the prospect goes and i know we we always live by the mantra don't overreact to spring training but it's kind of hard not to not to take something from this torrid spring that Alex is having, no? Yeah, he, he was always such a kind of polarizing prospect to begin with. I mean, high draft pick, he was like the prototype copy acquisition. You know what I mean? It, it was just everything about it, it made perfect sense that, that he would wind up in this system. He was sixth overall in the 2014 draft, had struggled, never really hit his potential. He was a change of scenery guy, so they they immediately they moved him back behind the plate and he seemed like he was fine in Florida and then when he got to Mississippi which is a notoriously difficult league to hit that's where everything went sideways for him 
but he still wound up fighting through it, even with the, the low batting average and, and low OPS and low home runs, low everything pretty much, but he wound up getting promoted to, to Gwinnett. And now he shows up, and like you said, you can't, you can't overreact to the spring training stats, but did get to see him a little bit in the game against the Yankees uh, yesterday. Uh, by the time this comes out, that will have been Tuesday. It won't be won't be yesterday anymore. But he looked trim. He was hitting the ball hard. He didn't he didn't seem lost. That was the biggest thing about him last year is that he just didn't seem like he knew what he was doing. So, um, if he's a a viable option to to be even even as like the emergency guy as far as the major league depth, he's probably fourth in the pecking order right now with McCann, Flowers, Rafi Lopez, and then you got Jackson in there too. But he could easily become the third option if if he can show any level of power. Because the thing about him when he got drafted was his ability to hit. That's why Seattle moved him out to the outfield when he was still in their system. They said, we want to fast-track you to the big leagues. So even if he's had a, a little bit of a step back, this is the type of guy that you kind of look at. It's similar to Drew Lugbauer when you say, if the DH is coming to the National League, that's the type of guy that you want because you can you can make the case for his value if if he's a catcher or if he has to move back to the outfield or whatever. But if all he has to do is hit, he doesn't have to focus on calling a game, anything like that. Just go out and mash. This is the guy because he can hit at 500 feet, you know. And that's that's really what what you draft him for. So that's obviously at least a, at least a year away, maybe maybe even more than that. But I'm very intrigued by what he could be if he can. If he can hold on to this, who knows? He could go go back to Gwinnett and just and fully tank. But for now, he's looking good. Looks trim. Now, if, if this is for real and this continues into the season, and <clears throat> Tyler Flowers continues to struggle with pass balls like he has this spring, which has been absolutely horrendous. I believe he has like five or six pass balls already. Would could you possibly see a change there early on? Um, not. Not so much for Jackson. I don't. I don't think. I, I think that the the question is about the defense for now. Or he he has taken strides since since he's been been in the system. This will be his third year in the system. But I I think that there's still a little bit farther to go. I think that they would just kind of lean on McCann a little bit more and and uh, Lopez to to come in and kind of fill that role. But Flowers, the framing, all of that that really is real. Unfortunately, the pass balls are real as well. But he's not on, on this massive contract where he, they're going to have to ride him out just just to make sure that they're getting anything for their for their money. So I, I think Jackson's going to have to show it in some in some Triple A action before they really start looking at him as an option. And do you think that Tyler's going to get this this switched around? Because we're already kind of seeing the effects of Rick Kranitz, uh, and it's kind of subtle. You kind of have to be paying attention. But one thing that I've noticed through these spring training games is the Braves are throwing a lot more breaking balls breaking into the dirt, which they did not do with uh, with Chuck. If you notice, all spring, two strikes, what happens? They bury a curveball into the dirt. That's just not something that the Braves typically do, or at least I don't remember them really ever featuring that while Chuck Hernandez was here. Uh, but but so far this spring, it seems like every pitcher's doing it, and it seems to me that's where Tyler tends to uh, kind of lose track of the ball. He doesn't seem to do very well when it bounces in the dirt. Am I, am I just off base? Am I reaching on that? No, I think you're right. I wonder at this point how much of that is by design and how much of that is accidental. You know, somebody throwing the good old 58-and-a-half-foot curve or something. Um, 
but yeah, but, and that's that's got to be tough on a, on a catcher too. We talk so much about the impact of pitching coaches on the pitchers, but when you start dealing with it with the catchers, you, you never really hear about the ripple that it's going to have on them. So I don't if think you, I don't. If it were just one or two pitchers, I would say yeah, he probably just he probably just let it go a little too late. But it's every single pitcher seems to be bearing stuff on O twos. And now personally, for me, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, one of the biggest struggles that Atlanta's had in the last few years under Chuck Hernandez was we're putting batters away with two strikes, where they'll they'll kind of nibble around corners and they'll nibble up and they'll nibble in, but you never really saw them break anything off and break it down and kind of try to get somebody to chase out of the zone down. To me, that, that's a key element when you're talking about hitters that are going to be off balance because they're already defending with two strikes. Those breaking balls are, are very effective, particularly guys that have spikes, like the 12-6 curves, what, we, what you call a spike curve. Those are particularly devastating. When you got two spikes and you can bury that thing in the dirt, it, it's very, very hard to hold back on that. So I'm hoping that that's a Kranitz thing and that we see that more and more this season. I think that that would do very well for a lot of these guys to – attack on two strikes and not necessarily try to remain in the zone the whole time, get people to chase pitches. I think that that'll help one. It'll help their confidence too. It'll help keep some pitch counts down and it'll, it'll alleviate the, the ability for guys like Julio Tehran to make more mistakes because the more pitches Julio throws, obviously the more chance that he's going to leave one up and, and it's going to get sent out. If, if people are, if you're getting them to chase on the third or fourth pitch of the at bat, then you're alleviating some of that risk. And speaking of Julio, by the way, should be mentioned, um, it's kind of a weird way to judge his first outing. Um, The strikeouts were were great to see. Four Ks, which is awesome. Uh, Only one walk, I believe. Awesome. Um, But he did give up another home run. Not awesome. Now, when you're talking about Julio, uh, I've always been of the opinion that I don't really care about his home run numbers. It's the walk numbers. So if he's given up solo shots, I don't care. Uh, Give up as many solo shots as you want as long as it's under four. Um, but when you start walking people, Julio's got this weird sort of, if he walks people, it is guaranteed he's given up a bomb. Like, it, it, it's just this weird karma that if he walks a player, next person's up hitting the bomb. He's oddly consistent with it, too. That's one of those things that I would always kind of try and talk myself out of it being an actual trend. But but you're right. You're absolutely right. How many times did you, did you see it? And... Uh, the thing that impressed me most about this it, it was that his velocity is back up. He was touching 94, sat 92, 93. And last year, I, I swear it was half of his starts, he was struggling to, to even maintain 90. Well, I know so, one of the things about that, I think what you're going to see there is uh, when he was doing that, it was he was switching back and forth between fastballs. The 87 to 89-ish, that's his two-seam. When you saw him rearing back going 92-94, that's his four-seam. I think what Cranes here are going to see him throw a lot more four-seam just because the movement is nice on an 87. You can't live with that every pitch. No, and and so, some of the – he was dealing dealing with uh, – I think it was a strained lat last year. It was a start against the Padres where he was topping out at 86 or, or something. I mean, at, at the very at the very top. And that, that, was, that was troubling. That was one of those where – Okay, he's not like taking something off so he can be crafty or something. There's something wrong at that point. So now, if nothing else, you know, this is his first start. And uh, by all, all reports, the slider was very sharp. So that's it's good to see. Uh, we've we've beaten it into into our own heads and trying to beat it into everybody else's. Like you, you can't overreact to the spring training stuff. But based on that, you know, even even the home run he gave up with, with the Derek Fisher, you know, th- so that that's like a that's 
somewhat somewhat understandable. So to be to be determined with with Julio. He's obviously going to be in the rotation. He the, he is, he is durable even if he's uh, he's going to he's going to be who he is. But if he can add if he, if he can maintain rather a couple of ticks of velocity, then I think you're going to see a lot more effectiveness with him. Who knows? With the whole thing about Julio was as soon as Roger McDowell left, even for as bad as he was for everybody else, he and Julio were somehow able to make that work, similar to the way that Fulte and Chuck Hernandez were able to make it work, but it wasn't really good for anybody else. So, you know, at this point, based on Fulte's elbow, based on Gossman's shoulder and everything else that's going on, I am going to laugh hysterically if Julio winds up getting the sixth straight uh, opening day start. I love the guy, even even aside from the, the on, on-field stuff. And uh, he's... I'd love to see him make another one just on merit, but as far as performance, I don't know, man. That, that's like I said, to be determined. If if he can keep that up, then sure. But as, as of now, I'm still that's kind of suspect for me. You just mentioned some of the injuries, so there is some good news on the injury front. Mike Soroka is resuming his throwing regimen, and uh, it looks like it was not a continuation of of the shoulder injuries that were uh, during during present last season. It was more sore from a workout. Uh, Gosman seems to be okay. Luis Gohara was back throwing BPs today. It looks like he's going to be ramped up to get ready to go. I'm not sure when his debut is going to be, but it looks like he's he's ready to really get started throwing again. Uh, Dan Winkler, who was dealing with some elbow soreness, he got in today and pitched a clean inning, uh, which this is going to be a pivotal spring for Dan Winkler. We talk about how the bullpen might not necessarily be a huge strength, uh, but it is very crowded. There's We, we talk about there, there's not a lot of high-end, like top-end super talent in our bullpen, but there are a lot of pitchers that do the same thing. So it is a very crowded bullpen there. So uh, for, for Winkler to alleviate a lot of the concerns from last season, he's got to come out and he's got to pitch very well because his first half, second half splits were ridiculous. Like redonka donka ridiculous. Um, he's got an option, too. Or I think he's, he might have a couple of options. He's been around since he got drafted in the Rule 5 draft in 2014, but he spent so much time. Uh, on the 60-day DL with the screws and the elbow and all of, all of the different stuff that he had going on, so he's still got options. He can he can go back and forth, so he could be a great option to stash in Gwinnett if it comes down to it. But let me he, tell you what he doesn't want to do: go back to the minor leagues. Oh well, of course not. I mean, uh, ab- absolutely not. But from the front office perspective, if you're trying to remove that redundancy, like if if you're looking at Dan Winkler and Shane Carl and saying these are the same guy. If Carl has no options and Winkler does, then the way to keep them both is to send Winkler down. Does that bother you at all? And we're kind of going off script here, but the the constant shuttling back and forth from the Gwinnett Express, does that annoy you at all? Because <sighs> I'll be honest. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, it kind of bugs the crap out of me. Uh, I, I just don't like... like I, it's a good strategy if if you don't really believe in any of them long-term. And I think that's kind of my, my thought process behind it. Like if you thought well enough of these guys that you didn't really go out and get anybody else, um, then take the reins off a little bit. I understand the thought philosophy. Oh, we'll just keep fresh arms coming in and coming out. I think confidence has a little, has, I think confidence is a little bit more important at some points than fresh arm up to a certain point. Uh, as long as you aren't like throwing certain guys out there literally every single day, like the Braves used to do to Johnny Venters. Um, I, I would just kind of like to see them kind of settle into an actual bullpen rotation. You know, kind of 
you can make some changes every once in a while, but when it's every single day, shuttling someone else back and forth and back and forth, I'm not a real big fan of that. I'll be honest. No, and and I I don't love it, but it's kind of one of those things. It's it's almost like the manipulating the ten day DL, where it's a loophole that's designed to be abused a little bit. And the Braves have the advantage, especially with having Atlanta and Gwinnett being so close to each other. Now, depending on what time you're trying to get a reliever from Gwinnett to Atlanta, it could take anywhere between twenty minutes and seven hours. But um, if you've got the option to do it, and you're not going to wind up getting punished for it. If it comes down to calling up a fresh arm from AAA versus using Luke Jackson again, call up the guy from AAA. You know, this isn't like the Mets having their AAA affiliate in Reno, which never really understood that one. But if they've got the convenience and they can they can make it work, you bring up a good point about the confidence, though. And you saw it with with guys like John Gant and Matt Whistler, where it's like, and and Lucas Sims too, like who. who which version are we going to get today? Because they, they kind of they, they need to feel confident that they can make a mistake and, and be allowed to work through it. And in in some cases, when you when you do have that redundancy, if you're basically going to be able to exchange one guy for the other without any noticeable drop off, this is this is Anthopolis. You know what I mean? Like if he's the one who's making these decisions, well, he learned he learned the ten uh, day manipulation tactic uh, from the Dodgers, so. I think that there are going to wind up being some controls in place that are going to keep that from being abused as it currently is in the future. But until they do, then you until you're blue in the face. It's just one of those things that I, I understand the theory behind it. I just I don't tend to like it when when you're doing it. I do think that some sort of stability is essential for long term long term stability. I guess I could say uh, you you need to have guys that have clearly defined roles and are allowed to grow in those roles, in my opinion, anyway, uh, to turn that into into a stable type of bullpen. Because I do think that there's a lot of talented arms that could very well do it. Now, I understand that if somebody's pitched two days in a row, three days in a row, then you can shuttle them back and forth. I'm fine with that. I just don't want to see it every day where Chad throws an inning. Oh, now he's sent back down to Gwinnett, and Wes Parsons comes up, and then uh, pick a pick a person. Um Dan Winkler throws an inning. Now he's he's replaced with somebody else. I, I don't want to see that happen every day. I, I want to see I want to see them cut down. It's almost like a basketball team um, that runs too many players over the course of the game. They have to cut their rotations down. Come March Madness, where all of a sudden what was a, a twelve to fifteen man type of team in rotation really cuts down to about eight to ten. I need to see that happen this year with the Braves bullpen. But I don't want to derail the show because that was not something that we were planning on talking about. It's just something that kind of irritates me a little bit. I know, shocker, right? Dylan being irritated at something. But uh, So is that now a good time? Speaking of things that irritate you, is it a good time to talk about Dansby being back? I was actually going to say that it's good to see him back. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't I don't wish him injured at all. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from two at-bats. It looks like he's doing something else with his stance. He's got his hands a little bit lower, a little bit looser. Um, a little bit more open, which I think is essential for a guy like Dansby to have an open stance rather than a closed. Um, you know, we'll see how it sticks. But in, until I see, you guys know our rule already. If you haven't seen our bet, then if Dansby Swanson finishes, we actually changed it up a little bit. If Dansby finishes with a higher F WAR than Johan Camargo, then I'm going to change. Then I'm going to have my avatar as, as Dansby Swanson with the cornrows for a while. But if Dansby wins an MVP or even ends up as the f- number one shortstop in baseball, I'll tattoo. I'll tattoo something from Dance Beyond to my body. Um, also, we well, will we'll definitely invite him on to to mock and make fun of me. 
I think that uh, was it Derek that was saying that he was going to wind up getting cornrows himself. That's how confident he is in Dansby. I mean, that's. I don't think he went that far. I think he was talking about using that picture. But if he's willing, Derek Duran, if if he's willing to throw on cornrows if he loses, when he loses, then uh, I would I would love to see that. That would be a good way to get yourself onto the show. I still think that you should uh, you should wager uh, getting cornrows. You've got the your hair is the is the perfect length. To get the cornrows, I think I think you could pull it off too. Let me tell you what will never happen: being cornrows. I don't make bets that I won't fulfill. If it goes the other way, I will never get cornrows, so I won't even make that bet because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put that expectation out there. It's not gonna matter. Johan's gonna bet. Johan injury notwithstanding, Johan will beat Dansby. I'm confident of that. But it is good to see. And for all the for all that I rag on Dansby, obviously I would very much like to be proven wrong. I would love for a player to be much better than I think that he really is. So to see him come in and, um, you know, he comes in and he hits two balls really, really hard. Kind of some bad luck on that first one. Um, didn't didn't look like he needed a whole lot of time to readjust back to it. Now, he's been swinging in the cages and things like that. Um, but to get in there and, and get himself a rip is good to see. Uh, the question will be he's he's going to sit out tomorrow, Thursday, as there's there's no schedule games. He didn't play today. Uh, if the wrist is still feeling fine, he's supposed to play Friday. That, to me, is the key. Uh, can you hit and hit multiple times, and then how is it going to respond in the coming days? Because that's going to be more of a tell for his wrist than how he does in one particular game. No, that, that's that's fair. He he was tattooing the ball uh, when when he first uh, first came up. He would have gone two for two if Stephen Tarpley's ankle hadn't been been right where it was. Um, I, he came out of the gates blazing last year, and I was convinced that he was going to wind up having a great year after the first couple of weeks. And you you saw flashes up through the year, and um, and I'm notoriously optimistic when it comes to when it comes to this type of stuff. So I, I hope, if nothing else, that he can finally just even if it's just a regular, decent season. You know what I mean? doesn't have to be super flashy. doesn't have to be amazing. I would take 260 with 15 home runs and plus defense. Well, he you know what has I mean? To. He really, honestly, he has to. Because at this point, he is the weak link of the starting players. And if there's anybody that is going to get upgraded from, he would be the first player. Uh, and as I've maintained all along, I prefer Ozzy at shortstop anyway. I think that if Dansby does not see some significant improvement this year. I do think you would see Ozzy shift back over to shortstop and Johan step in at second or third base or whatever, what they want to do with Donaldson. Because at this point, I don't, it's, I'm not worried necessarily about Donaldson, but uh, it's never a good sign when you have to send a 32 year old to learn how to run. I think it's just being overly cautious, you know, because after last year, because this is, he is the biggest investment on the team, you know, for, for as much, has been talked about Braves didn't spend any money of the money that they did spend. He was like 75% of it. So for him to go out and get a hurt in spring training, if you think that everything has been a dumpster fire up until now, wait until Josh Donaldson gets hurt running. You know, I think it's just over, over uh, abundance of caution for, and, and you see the same thing with Gosman and Fulte and, and Gahara. It's like, we are not at a point where they have to be competitive yet. The time is coming. It's, it's very close. But while they have the time to to just ease everybody in, because a healthy Josh Donaldson, he's he's an all star, he's an MVP candidate if if he's healthy. So they're just taking to me. That's what I see. I just see them as, as taking a, an abundance of caution, 
and rightfully so. But he's going to make his debut on Friday as well. That'll be Gossman's first start too. Now what so. if his debut gets pushed back again? Well, then will you start to get worried a little bit? Um, that'll be like de- that'll be the third time that his debut's been pushed back. It'll depend on how they spin it. Let me just let me just say that it'll. There's a lot of truth between the lines when it when it comes to what comes to that type of thing. So. Um, I, but yeah, as for as for now, I, I don't have a I don't have a huge problem with that. It is funny that uh, they were tweeting out, "Oh, he went three for three in the sim game." Like, what's a coach throwing to him? <laughs> Even Jeff Francoeur said something about that, where he's like, "Man, that's a coach throwing to him. It's not the same thing at all." From forty feet, the guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, the, at least he's taking some swings. Hopefully, we'll get to see Donaldson on Friday. Uh, and, and get ready for what should be, hopefully, is, is a nice bounce-back season for him. Um, but we, we were mentioning the pitchers that have done well. We mentioned Max Freed a lot last week, and I've told you guys a thousand times how much I love Max Freed and how I think if he were to be given an actual extended opportunity of being a starter, he would be one of the best starters on the rotation. We had to leave his start. Uh, he was throwing a curveball, and his thumbnail cut his pinky. Now, it's obviously not a huge deal. It's something during a season that you could kind of mess around with in the dugout and get it kind of closed up. But it just kind of highlights kind of the cosmic bad luck that seems to follow Max Freed. He's got the softest hands. I just feel like you go shake his I've – I've shook his hand before, and it was a good manly handshake. And I was more taken by the fact that he was – shaking my hand like a man i wasn't like oh my god you have really soft hands but between the blisters and this type of thing what do you mean you cut your finger throwing a curveball you what's your thumbnail your you cut your finger like you didn't just scratch yourself you full-on cut yourself throwing a curveball yeah like dealing with some serious freddy krueger type nails i don't i don't fully That's understand gotta be a fair he, bit of spin on that and he seemed he seemed fine after the game. Seemed relieved that it wasn't a blister. And he's and he's like, listen, this this is fixed already. This is not a thing. And then he mentioned he was going to have to get a manicure before every start. So, um, so what I've, I've said this before, Southern California all hey, day. I've said this before that that men that are man pretty don't usually that I, they worry me on the baseball field because they've got a whole other line of revenue that they can make off the field and make almost as much as they make on it. Like if you give me just a, a dirt, ugly uh, spit and Joe, a John Cruck type of guy, usually I'll take those over the manicured player a thousand times out of a thousand. Now, granted Camargo's different because he looks like a Panamanian model and also plays extremely hard, but that, if you want to talk about worries with Max Freed, sometimes I think a guy might be too pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you brought up John Cruck because the first one that I thought of was Lenny Dykstra, and I think that those two both <laughs> play on, on the I think same those team. are uh, I think those are very comparable when you talk about looking at them. Um, not going to win uh, any beauty contest between them. Yeah, but but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it's uh, not not that it's worrisome to have a handsome pitcher, but I mean. It's uh, it's it is kind of weird that that the all of the issues on the hands and everything. I think that there was talk of a Japanese pitcher that actually had a surgery to remove his sweat glands because yeah. he was dealing with blisters. I, this yeah, is yeah I read about that. Which yeah, that that's a step, step too right. far because that's going to affect you down the road, buddy. When you're actually done playing baseball, like they don't get to just put those sweat glands back into your hands. Is is that not a common surgery? Is is having sweat glands reinstalled? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that. When they keep it in a jar uh, of like uh, of just uh, stem cells, I guess, because you couldn't keep it in formaldehyde. Yeah, that's a that's a completely different type of science that I'm not not really even familiar that's, with. That's uh, a. <clears throat> 
weird science. <laughs> so, I mean, but as it, as it pertains to, to Freed, like he, he's got the got the option for like he has the inside track on on the fifth starter role, right? And I that's, would agree that that one is that one's just open. But when you start looking at Faulty, he re, he re- restarted his throwing program. But when somebody asked him about his elbow, he didn't want to talk about it. So I was just talking about there's truth between the lines and there, there's truth in how they spin it. That to me, that's weird. Because he's on track to make his make that opening day start, but if there's something wrong with him, like let's let's just take the worst case scenario for for just a second, and let's say that there is something something wrong there. Then now you have two different spots that you have to fill. And this could be good news for Tukey. This could be good news for Bryce. This could be good news for Kyle Wright. Say now, and you, after what what I saw yesterday. After what I saw yesterday, man. That dude, he might have an inside track on that as well. Kyle Wright looked like a baller against the Yankees. That was definitely the best that I've seen him look. Uh, he looked poised. He looked in command. He he looked in sync with himself, which I thought was very important. Uh, nothing looked too big. Didn't matter who he really faced. You saw him get Aaron Judge into a full count and then froze him looking on a, on a curveball 3-2, which was outstanding. Uh, Kyle Wright's a guy, and I, I keep going back and forth on Kyle about whether he's ultimately going to be a starter or a bullpen piece because at least last year and, and the year preceding, he didn't really carry his his velocity and his his impact stuff. He didn't really carry it well deep into games. Maybe that maybe that changes a little bit. I don't know. But if you're talking about just from a pure talent standpoint, there might only be one or two other pitchers in the entire system that the Braves have that are comparable talents, and that would be Ian Anderson and Mike Soroka. Maybe Tukey when he's on as well, but uh, I think Kyle is has a lot better command than Tukey. I don't think uh, I don't think they're in the same realm there. So if Kyle's a guy that if he can actually continue to to carry his big time stuff deep into games, that's a guy that can get right back on that track to being a potential number two. And uh, I think you can see him make a big jump here this year for sure. Whether or not it's in Atlanta, I think in 2020, I think he's he's a sharpie into the rotation for sure. I, I think that's fair, and the the uh, the strikeout of judge that that curveball that he that he froze him on that was actually strike four. He had he had just barely barely missed the corner in the in the previous pitch to to load up the count. But the whole start, I just I mean his curveball was just doing it was dancing. And he's it was pumping beautiful. he's pumping ninety five ninety six, topping out at ninety seven. Uh, he he's big six four two twenty five. He's just got everything that you look for in a front line pitcher. Uh, it's a reason why. Some some particular prospect evaluators, not going to name any names, <clears throat> uh, compared him in a sense to Max Scherzer. I'm not saying that he is Max Scherzer, but through that comp around. That, that's a that's a special comp. That's that's like comping somebody to Bo Jackson. You don't you don't drop that unless you really mean it. I but did that I, comp because of the the size, uh, very similar size. Uh, same type of pitch repertoire. Now Max throws full on five pitches now, but when Max was breaking into the league, it was a heavy fastball that had some good run on it. Uh, he was also a guy though that it was if you don't if you remember when Max Scherzer first came up in the league, there were questions about whether he would remain a starter because he did not have the same stamina. So if you can get if you can get Kyle Wright on even three quarters of what Scherzer is, then that is that is a fantastic fantastic thing. 
the whole time that I, w- I was watching watching him, I I just kept thinking like he doesn't look like a prospect. He doesn't look like a rookie. You know, exactly. he looks like somebody that's been around for years and years. Like if you had told me that Kyle Wright was was twenty seven and like he'd been pitching in the big leagues for a couple of years, I would have absolutely believed it. I, I, absolutely, and I think that that poise is a very important thing. Uh, that's one of those things that you get a lot more out of college pitchers than high school pitchers. They're they're a lot more poised and ready to go because they've been facing stiffer competition all the way through. They didn't jump straight from, from high school into facing grown men, so they've kind of gone through a little bit more adversity than these high school players are, and they've kind of more – they're more – I want to say they're more secure – in their stuff, for the most part. There's some players that are just different, like Bryce Harper never had a problem being secure in his stuff. Mike Trout has always been you know, secure in who he is. But for the most part, for the vast majority, that's one of the good benefits of playing in college is that it helps you kind of become secure in what you are as a player. Uh, but we are running, ta- we're running out of time for this first segment. So uh, speaking of all these prospects, we've got a – one of the best, pro- one of the best possible guys we could have to talk about these Atlanta prospects. We have got Jonathan Mayo from MLB Pipeline. He's gonna be tuning in with us from the break. Uh, just stick with us through here. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be right back on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the Coalition for Combined Literature. Do you find yourself wanting to read the classics, but you just don't have the time? Well, worry no more. Our flagship program fuses popular works into an easily digestible format. See what happens when Dr. Seuss and Harper Lee combine for that new tale of Yuletide justice, How Atticus Finch Stole Christmas. And who can forget Edgar Allan Poe and Arthur Miller synthesizing two of their most famous stories and getting Mask of the Red Death of a Salesman. You'll discover all kinds of fantasy lands in books such as Cloud Atlas Shrugged, Gone Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Wheel of Time Machine, and Brave New World According to Garp. Stay tuned for next year when we unveil our first marriage of movies and television with Godzilla's Island, the Coalition for Combined Literature. Patent pending. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero. Joining us today from MLB Pipeline, Jonathan Mayo. Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Now we got we don't have a whole lot of time, so we're going to kind of go rapid fire with you today. Uh, you guys just released your top thirty, yes? Yes. All right. Well, we were looking over that, and there was a couple questions that I want to dig into right off the bat. Here in Braves Country, we are insanely excited for what we've seen from a couple guys, William Contreras and Kyle Muller in particular. I saw they were kind of a little bit farther down on yours, not quite in the top 100. I saw something on Twitter about uh, about how you were viewing uh, William Contreras. What is it in particular about William Contreras that you think he needs to do to, to make some hay and really jump up prospect rankings? Well, I mean, I think he's on the right path. You know, he's... Uh you know, he didn't make our top 10 catchers, but he's literally number 11. So he would be the first one to, to go in if we need a, a replacement without looking at that list to see if anyone's going to graduate soon. You know, he had a, a very good uh, first taste of full-season ball, uh, obviously, last year. The one thing that he has a tendency to do is kind of get a little ahead of himself where he kind of thinks that he's figured it all out. Uh, so some of it is just sort of a, an approach to the game where, you know, he sees his older brother – uh, and 
sees what he can do, and he's similar kind of player, but thinks that all the things that Wilson can do, he can do now, and he's not there yet. You know, Wilson put in the work in the minors to, to get there. So that's just something that the Braves have been trying to sort of hammer home with him, and I think he's going to get there. He's still immensely young. Um, you know, a year from now, he's going to be on that top 10 catchers list. I, I would be surprised if he's not a top 100 prospect, you know, unless something goes backwards uh, in, in terms of, of, of the bat. Uh, or you know, or he loses focus behind the plate for some periods of time as he starts approaching the upper levels of the system. And when you're looking at a guy like Muller, uh, he had a, the huge velocity jump after working this season with with driveline. He hit 99 today in a spring training game. I was actually kind of surprised to see him at number 13, uh, but this being one of the one of the top farm systems in the game, it's more understandable than if he was with with the Orioles or somebody like that. So uh, could you see him being a big riser for, for 2019 as well? Yeah, I could. I mean, and, and, you know, looking at, say, 10 through 14, and that's like, you know, well, four lefties in a row, I, I think you could probably line them up in any order that, that you would want. Um, you know, I think that I, I need to see him with that increased velocity over a uh, – a longer period of time. Um, I think the driveline stuff is great. I'm just not like all in on that. It's going to be the be all end all nor, nor is velocity to be all end all. It is encouraging to see him sort of back to throwing you know, harder than he was when he kind of uh, spiked in high school. Uh, and, you know, it had taken him a while. You know, typically the Braves aggressively pushed their high school arms to full season ball, you know, that year after the drafting and he wasn't ready for that. So I think that maybe why it just was sort of, uh, hesitant uh, a, a little bit. Um, that and the fact that uh, I think the changeup needs to, to get a little sharper. Um, everything is pointing in the right direction for him. I think you're right. You know, in another system, he's probably the top pitching. He might be the top pitching prospect in the system. But this is such a, a deep system, especially pitching wise, that uh, you know that having him 13 is is not really like 13 and pretty much just about any other. Uh, top 30 outside of maybe the San Diego Padres. And kind of piling on the Muller train here, last season when you saw him make that big jump, he lowered his arm slot a little bit to a more three quarters instead of kind of over the top. You saw it pay big dividends with his breaking ball in particular. Did that kind of raise your evaluations for what he could be? I know I saw before he was kind of a three to four high probability to go to the bullpen type of guy. Has he kind of alleviated some of that? I think so. I think so. And I mean, it's, it's with uh, with uh, a lot of pitchers, you know, finding the ability to uh, repeat your delivery, whatever it is. And with him, it was um, really all about that arm slot. And he found that sort of comfortable arm slot. And that combined with the work he was doing in driveline, he's much more athletic and direct to the plate. It's free and easier. So there's more confidence that he's going to be able to hit the velocity consistently. I think it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to help him in terms of the consistency of staying on top of the breaking ball regularly so it can be a plus pitch. Um, and then just l- trusting that other stuff more, not relying only on the fastball uh, so that he can you know, reach that ceiling of being like a, a, a mid-rotation type starter. One of the biggest jumpers that, that we saw on this list was, uh, I believe it's pronounced Waskar Inoa, but I, I've heard uh, conflicting reports on how the first name gets pronounced. Um, he didn't just jump from from the twenties all the way up to number fourteen, which I thought was really impressive. But his future value jumped up 
from 45 to 50. Now, we had kind of, we had asked you this question on Twitter earlier this week, but for anybody who hadn't seen it, uh, what was it that you saw that, uh, that made you kind of want to jump him up to where he is now? I think it's the ability to, to – we're talking about, you know, adjustments in delivery, and, and uh, he was much better in terms of repeating and being direct to the play. He would get out of sync by uh, sort of yanking to his glove side, uh, and now he's finishing you know, the more direct line, and he's downhill more. Uh, that led to better fastball command. So you know, all of that uh, is pointing in the right direction. He's still immensely young. I know people said, well, you know, his overall numbers aren't that great. Um, you know, especially in the, the very small sample size when he got up to the Florida State League. Uh, you know, there's still a ways to go. The stuff has always been good, but he took a really big step forward. Where, uh, and that's you know, the the overall grade goes up from where, well, maybe he's a bullpen piece to, well, he really looks more and more like a, a guy who's going to be able to handle being a starting pitcher. Uh, and that's, I think, a big reason why he landed on the 40-man roster, because of those uh, jumps forward that he made in, in his delivery and overall command of his stuff. What are your thoughts on Ian Anderson? Realistically, what do you think that he is uh, as, he, as he continues to jump up boards? Uh, you know, he, it's, he's almost like, quietly really good, even though it's silly to say for a guy who's number three in the system and what we have 32 overall. Um, but because he doesn't, he doesn't throw a hundred miles an hour or anything like that. It's just his feel for pitching, given the fact that he was from a cold weather state was always amazing to me. Um, you know, I thought the fact that he was able to jump up to double a and hit the ground running in that brief time there sets him up for uh, a year this year where, you know, uh, I think by 2020, he'll be that next, ready to be the next line. If, if you told me that he'd be ready to contribute to the big league this year, I'd believe it. I think the depth in the system will probably preclude that from happening. That, in fact, you know, his age and, and relative lack of experience. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see that walk rate come down more. That's the one surprising thing, because I do think that eventually he may have above average command uh, when all is said and done. I, he's, uh, you know, he's athletic, so I think he's, I think he's going to get there. Um, and uh, he just uh, he's had three above-average-plus pitches, and he's only 20. Um, he's just one of those guys that just goes out and is really, really good with very good, uh, but not that, like, wow, you know, jump-off-the-page kind of stuff that makes everyone sit up and take notice. When you're looking at somebody like Luis Gahara, I mean, so much has been made about the, the off-field struggles that he had last year. And, and I think a lot of that is legitimate, but when you're looking at that, how much of an effect does that have on, on his overall outlook? Do you think that uh, he just kind of gets a mulligan for for last year or did, do you think that he wound up taking a step back be, because of that for his overall ceiling? I mean, it's hard. It's, I think there's a certain amount of mulligan that needs to be given. It's easy to forget that he is only 22. I feel like he has been around for Ever, um, you know, I remember writing about him, with, you know, Mariners when he first signed, you know, and sort of set the world on fire when when he first came to the United States. Uh, and so the age and just how good the pure stuff is, I think you need to give him some benefit of the doubt, especially because in 2017 uh, it really looked like he was starting to put it together in terms of being a starter. Um, you know, he he needs to watch his conditioning. He showed up last year and was not in good shape, and I, you know, that did not help in terms of him staying healthy. I mean, there's a direct correlation. It's not, it's not, you know, it doesn't take a, 
uh, uh, medical degree to figure that out. So, you know, if he can get that in line, I think he still has the chance to be a really good starting pitcher. Now, the, the positive, you know, the sort of positive in terms of his high floor is that this is a guy that even if the command fluctuates and things like that, if he can stay healthy, he could be really, really good out of the bullpen. I mean, just to go fastball slider, um, it would be nasty. And so I think this is a big year in terms of trying to determine what he is going to be uh, for, the, for, the next, for the next group of time. Now, his first avenue to the big leagues might be out of the bullpen only because there's so many starting pitchers. Um, and if he's really, really good there, maybe he ends up staying, staying as a reliever. But we're going to have to wait and see. We've spent a lot of time here just talking about the pitching prospects, but the break system has a couple of, of different uh, kind of controversial type of debates going on, whether it's between Austin Riley and Christian Pache as the number one prospect for position players. The other one that I, I don't that I really want to get into with you, uh, Drew Waters versus Christian Pache. You kind of got two contrasting styles. Pache is is a sublime defender. Uh, Drew Waters has has a very high offensive profile. If it's you right now, which one are you going to bank on as being uh, more valuable than the other one? Yeah, I think I got a question like that, and I tried to tap dance around it because I don't <laughs> want you know I, I would want both I'd want both of them. Um, I mean, I guess I have to stick by our rankings, right? And we have Pache fourth on the Braves list and Waters eighth. So clearly, I think Pache's got a little bit more upside. Um, it's there's not a whole lot separating them, to be honest with you. What it may come down to is if one of them ends up with more power than is currently projected, um, you know, and that remains to be seen. You know, Pache has started to show up in the Florida State League a little bit, some extra base pop. Um, I don't really understand why he doesn't steal more bases, um, but he's the best defensive outfielder in, in the minor leagues. And Water, the Waters is a really, really good defender. Where I mean, it, both of them are center fielders long term uh, on any other organization. Um, and uh, you know, so it, I think I think the way I danced around it on Twitter was I said that uh, I would love to have the number two pick in that draft because then whoever uh, whoever takes one of them, I, I would happily take the other one. The uh, the best thing about this farm system as it sits currently is how close so many of the top guys are to contributing in, in 2019. I mean, we saw some of this out of out of Mike Soroka last year and and Tuki Toussaint as well. If you had to put your money on who's going to be the biggest biggest contributor for 2019 out of somebody that's currently in the pipeline, who who would you put your money on? Well, I'll put Tuki aside just because he's already been up. Well, although so is Kyle Wright, but yeah, you know, I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Um, I, I think th- th- those are the two that I think we're, are going to make a considerable contribution. I think in the end of the day, both will. Well, let's say Tuki wins the number five spot in the rotation, and, and Wright goes down to Triple A. Uh, the odds of you getting through an entire season with five starters only is slim. So I think he's going to be really poised to to step up and and fill. Uh, filled a hole when, when it's needed. And it's hard not to pick a pitcher. You never know when there's going to be an opportunity that opens up. So if Austin Riley, say, who we haven't even talked about, is mashing in AAA and someone and there's an injury, uh, you know, uh, in the big leagues, he could step in and, and start crushing homers right when he gets up. And so he could be the guy. But I, if, if I was going to pick, it would be one of those two right-handers. All right. 
uh, last couple questions here. There's a lot of new guys on the list this year. Now that we've started to see some of the uh, some of the fresh faces from last year's draft, guys like C.J. Alexander go rocketing up list. A.J. Graffinino, uh, Jeffrey Ramos is, is is still poking around there. Ray Patrick Ditter. What is it about those guys that made you want to raise them up? And and which one of those guys do you think can actually kind of profile as a major league player? Okay, so you said I'm sorry. You said Ramos and who? Uh, Ramos, Ray Patrick Ditter, C.J. Alexander, and um, uh, A.J. Graffinino. Yeah, so, uh, well, Graffinino's going to be a big leader. If you're going to ask me which one I'm positive, he's going to play in the big leagues. He may be a utility guy, but he's one of those play-above-your-tools kind of guys that ends up having, you know, lengthy careers. You're not going to wow you. Uh, you know, it's one of those, the sum is better than, uh, or the whole is better than the sum of his parts kind of guys. Um, C.J. Alexander, uh, I raised him up because I got a lot of positive feedback, both internally and externally, uh, in terms of how good he was. And granted, it was a small pro debut, but he kind of was under the radar uh, as, a, as a JUCO guy. And I think that the Braves may have gotten themselves a really, really good steal there. And I, like, it wouldn't surprise me if he continued to rise up this, uh, this list as he embarks on his first full season. Be nice, CR. We know you got to go, but last question right before we let you go. We had Jim Callis on, and uh, we asked him this same question. Who would win an arm wrestling match between you and Jim Callis? Uh, man, I feel I feel like you asked me this once before, but like I don't remember being on with you guys. But, you know, I, I, I think that I, I have a certain size advantage, but he's – He's sneaky. He's wily. He's he's crafty. So I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I think I would be the favorite, like in Vegas. But I, I, uh, I it wouldn't shock me if he pulled off an upset. What did he say? <laughs> uh, I think he I said think he, that you would win as well. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Straight All right, from guys, the mouth. I got a bolt. Thank you so much Bye. for joining us. All right. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Alvin. That was Jonathan Mayo from MLB Pipeline. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Doc and I will get started on on what you're seeing today in spring training and just how close we are to the start of the new Major League season. Hold that down. We'll be right back right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, the everything store for all of your post-apocalyptic needs. Just because civilization has collapsed doesn't mean that your stylish sense of home decor has to. And remember, if you get 10 punches on your extinction loyalty card, you'll get priority seating on the next armored tank out of town. Our prices are so low, you'd never know that society is in the midst of a widespread catastrophic freefall. Shop Bed Bath & Beyond Thunderdome, where chaos enters and impeccable style leaves. Patent pending. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero. Big thanks to Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline for joining us for a little bit today. Uh, I should mention before we get started, our partners at the Grueling Truth Network, the brand new network you can find us on, stretching all over the place. If you guys want to check out some really cool podcasts, go to thegruelingtruth.net. Uh, if, you, if you're a fan of, of other sports aside from baseball, because we know that we're your only baseball show, uh, or we should be your main baseball show, and we're going to cry if we're not. But if you like uh, some other sports, you know, some football, football or boxing or what have you uh, the grueling truth network has has some amazing amazing podcasts with some amazing interviews on there as well uh go check them out and mybookie.ag 
as you guys already know, is our number one sponsor for the show. MyBookie.ag is the number one place to go to play some online wagers and make your sports days just a little bit more intriguing. All the best lines, all the best people, their customer service is second to none. Any question you have, they can answer. They're free and easy to use. If you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're also going to match your initial deposit up to 50%. If you guys heard Clay back on Twitter, he knows the drill. You guys all know this by now. I don't have to keep telling you, but I'm going to. MyBookie.ag. Go win have a great time doing it all right so when we were talking with mayo there for a second we didn't have time to really get into it because he uh, unfortunately he had he had to go fairly quickly we had a hard out there uh but there were a couple things that uh doc and i in particular are not 100 percent on board with when you talk about pipeline and this, this is just what happens when you have a, a ton of guys that evaluate talent sometimes they don't agree uh those guys and jim callis uh they, they do a fantastic job. Um, unfortunately, I don't think I agree with them as far as William Contreras goes. I already think that he's a top-five catching prospect. Um, I, I think that he's a better prospect right now than his brother was at the same age. The thing about catching prospects as it is now, I mean, I, I wonder for because I, I think Contreras is fantastic. I, I think he made a uh, – Jonathan made a really good point about he, he thinks he thinks he's there, but, he, but he's not yet. Um, but it, the the position itself is almost kind of undergoing a bit of a renaissance. It, at the pro level right now, it is a dead zone. But you start looking at guys like Joey Bart, Francisco Mejia, uh, Keeper Ruiz. I mean, those are those MJ are elite Malen- guys. Well, if I was going to name them out right now, I mean, we just named a bunch of them. I think we can continue doing that. So you got Joey Bart, you got Keebert Ruiz, Will Smith, Francisco Mejia, M- uh, MJ Melendez, Dalton Varsho, and you've got William Contreras. Is there anybody else that I'm really leaving off there? Uh, Sean Murphy uh, for Oakland. Mm. Uh, Ronaldo Hernandez. Yes, is, is, is another one. Hernandez from uh, Tampa Bay. That's another one. Uh, yeah, so right there, so, you got about ten right there. But I, I don't feel that William is any worse than any of those besides Joey Bart. It kind of it kind of depends. And when when they do these rankings, like they, they take a def- number of different things in there. That's like present value, future value, likelihood, and proximity, and all and all these different things. He did say that it's um, he's number eleven. I think I would probably put him uh, ahead of uh, Amaya from the Cubs and uh, Andrew Neisner. Which, but I mean, Neisner's solid enough in his own right. They were willing to trade away Carson Kelly, who is who is long thought to be the the successor to Yadi Molina. So I think. The, the funny thing about Contreras is he didn't even start in Rome last year. He stayed and extended until late April. So he really, really showed a lot. And we talked about this all the time last season. Like the way that the the former front office had done it was even if even if you're going to wind up jumping from Florida to Mississippi to Gwinnett all the way over to the big leagues, that's fine. But you spend a full year at Rome. You always spend a full year at Rome. And then Contreras and Waters both, they were like, whatever, y'all are awesome. Y'all, y'all get on. So that being the case that they made him the exception to the rule, I think that it's entirely possible that the organization is higher on him than maybe the industry is at this point. But at the same time, I think that Pipeline, out of all of the different outlets, I think they're the lowest on him, which number 11 catching prospect in baseball being like the, the worst outlook on him. I still think that's pretty good. I I just look at everything he does. I think he's a more well-rounded catcher than a lot of these other ones. He's more well-rounded than Francisco Mejia. Uh, he's definitely more well-rounded than uh, Amaya. He's, he's better all around than Kiebert Ruiz is right now. Uh, I I'm a big fan of William Contreras. And I think that, 
like his brother Wilson, he's a little bit underrated and a little bit undervalued as of right now. As hard as it is to say for a guy that was ranked 11th, uh, I think that uh, – you know, when, when people talk about, oh, well, he's not quite his brother. I actually think he's he's going to be better than his brother. Wilson can rake. He also has an amazing arm. Defensively, he's nothing special. Uh, as far as hit tool, he's not really anything special either. I think William uh, is a guy who is good in every single area. I don't think that he has a single weakness as a catcher. And I think that's a very rare thing to get with most of these catchers. So I'm very excited. The other one is Kyle Muller. They have Kyle Muller 13th. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. I think that the strides he's made are very real. As you've noticed today, he was throwing 99 in the game. Uh, depends on. It really comes down to how you feel about driveline, whether you think what they're teaching is sustainable. I happen to believe it's so because I saw with my own eyes what Trevor Bauer ended up doing last season. Uh, I've seen the other guys that have worked out a driveline and what they've ended up doing, and I've seen the results so far with Kyle Muller. I think that the improvements are real. He sustained them over a full season last year. Which to me, that gives me enough time to it gives me enough data to look at, and I am I've gone from not being high on Kyle Muller at all to being to think that I will be shocked if Kyle Muller is not a a part of this Braves rotation in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. I think twenty twenty is absolutely realistic. I think that he at least winds up in Gwinnett by the end of the season. He he was my when we when we went around uh, around the horn and said. You know who are your top three guys to watch? I mean, Mueller Mueller's my number one, and you know you look at the list, you look at the guys ahead of him, and I, I think that everybody from Soroka all the way through Waters and and Contreras, I mean those those guys I can I can see uh, being being ahead of Mueller, and then in between Contreras and, and Mueller, you've got Luis Gahara, who's going to lose prospect eligibility the first inning that he logs, uh, Colby Allard, which I almost feel that that's that's based. The, Almost nothing to me. That that's based on the fact that he has been higher ranked before. Uh, Muller's on the rise, and Allard is kind of falling. Um, speaking of guys who need to go to drive line, and that's then you have G- Joey Wentz, who's who's in the same way that like Pache and Waters always get kind of looped in together. I feel like Wentz and Muller, just because they were drafted five picks apart from each other, but, and both were extremely get- extremely well rounded guys. Joey Wentz, number one prep hitter. Kyle Muller, the Gatorade Player of the Year in Texas, who hit fifteen bombs. Um, now, Joey Wentz, I should also mention, I didn't get to mention in the first segment there, but uh, Joey Wentz looking very good this spring as well. He's had four outings, and he's done very well so far. Yeah, he he was dealing with uh, with a lot of injuries last year. So I, I think that you can still you can still dream on Joey. You can still dream on his ceiling. But Mueller has done more to improve his stock than maybe anybody in, in this entire system. Because the, the, or at least – at least recently, because the year before, I would I would say that probably about Bryce Wilson, because because he was kind of seen as an afterthought of that draft. Uh, same same draft as Wentz, same draft as Mueller, same same draft as Anderson. Just freakish how how good they were able to do in that in that draft. But I can see Mueller just if he even kind of replicates some of his success last year, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to, to see him in a similar role to what you saw out of uh, Kyle Wright. Uh, this this past year, or 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 Bryce, or Tukey, just kind of come up, make some spot starts, get his feet wet, and and then fully dive in for 2020. So all of the waves of, of pitchers that are coming, like the the first wave is crashing into the shore now, and then this next one that's got Wentz and Muller in it, that's that's coming very very hot on it on its tail. So if if you believe in in Velo, like. 
99 is 99. Listen, 99 I'd rather you throw 99 than throw 91. It's like throwing 99 doesn't make you a an amazing pitcher, but you know what? I'm willing to take more of a risk on a guy that throws 99 than a guy that throws 89. But he's got the control to go along with it. He still has some strides to go, but it's not like he's out there walking six and a half per nine. You know, so if you can, if you've got velocity and you've got control, you are a weapon. You're a big time weapon. And who knows? Just for law of law of uh, not necessarily law of attrition, but just you can't have the eight man rotation. So somebody somebody's going to wind up in the bullpen. And if you got a lefty pumping ninety nine with control, I mean that's on paper that's a Roldis Chapman. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe, no, maybe Rodas not. Chapman's one hundred. You need a little more velo. Let, let's not go. Let's level. not go crazy. That's Felipe Vasquez. Let's say that. I did say on paper. Um, but that that brings me to another point. We just talked about this, where you know, if you're talking about spot starts or guys that we think are talented enough to be in the rotation by 2020, I mean, not naming any of the starters that we have right now that are that were currently in the rotation last year. Which I mean, you're talking about Soroka, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Tukey, um, Luis Gohara, uh Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz, maybe Ian Anderson. That like, you, at some point, you've got to start to make some moves with some of these guys. Uh, you can talk about move some of them to the bullpen. Uh, uh, some of them will matriculate there. I don't. You can't just do that with all of them, though. Some of them. This is going to be. This is why I keep saying this is kind of make or break time. I'm interested to see. Nobody wants to see any of these guys ship out, but it is getting. It is rapidly approaching that time where they're going to reach their peak value before they Colby Allard and start to lose value, as some of them are just naturally better at the big leagues than some of the other ones. So I'm interested to see if Alex is willing to pull the trigger. And I don't – I haven't talked about this a lot on air, but uh, I, I am kind of of the opinion that he's a little gun-shy when it comes to trading prospects because he doesn't want to get Thored again where he traded Cindergaard for Ari Dickey. Uh, and I can't really blame you for that. I mean, that's, that's a bad one to see, but it's one of those things that uh, I, I really – need to see something happen because that's just that's my personal opinion right now of Alex and until I see something that makes me change my mind I think I'm going to continue to go with that but um, I mean it's better to have that problem than to have a problem of oh no Lucas Sims is our number one right yeah and and aside from from the whole thing about uh, about spending money and, and the things that were said and, and then not followed up upon Maybe they really just believe in all these guys. Maybe they they feel like if they can exhibit just a little bit of patience, then then all of the answers really really are within the farm system. So um, for a fan base that's been sitting around waiting for a pass, I would years, caution honestly. real quick. I would caution that is not a fantastic approach for a GM to take because most GMs should realize ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine times out of a million that is not the case. Well. You know what I'm saying, though. Like, it's not going to be just just him that that's making that call. Yeah, we got know, like the, nine the, starting pitchers, though. Maybe even ten or eleven when you consider Wieskari Noah and Patrick Weigel as well. When you when you throw those guys into the mix as well, I mean, we're talking about like twelve pitchers for five spots. Yeah, no, and 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 ultimately, I do think some of these guys wind up getting moved, but I, I think that they're. I think that part of the. Um, Part of the reluctance does does come from not wanting to get forward again, and, and some of it is really just like, listen, if we can not rush into something, then we can get the same level of production that we're looking for out of some of these guys. We just 
we just have to be patient. So and that's that's what I'm telling myself. I have uh, I have rebrainwashed myself to fit the current narrative. So that that's where I am right now. I'm very disappointed in you. I you know, need to take the I red know. pill, not the blue pill. Uh, what can I say, man? I, I ate the pill. I didn't, I didn't even look at what color it was. I know. You didn't take the red pill, man. You ain't woke. You ain't breaking the matrix on me, but whatever. Uh, it, it's just something that I'm going to keep my eye on really closely. I need to uh, – there's enough needs to where I would like to see you target somebody, especially around the deadline. Say the Pirates are as out of the division as I think they're going to be. That would be a prime time to to target a guy like Felipe Vesquez. Uh they need starting pitching. We have it in plenty of abundance. That would be something that I'd be looking towards. I'll be very disappointed if we go into it and we've still got the same. If we end the season next year with the exact same pitching prospects that we have now, I will be severely disappointed. Uh, and I think most Braves fans probably should be a little bit alarmed at that point. But I don't I don't want to be negative because uh, baseball season is rapidly approaching. I'm very excited about that. As you guys may have heard the other day, uh, I am going to be hosting the the Locked On Braves podcast this year for the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, big thanks to those guys for giving me the opportunity. Should be a lot of fun, and you guys can can breathe again. I am not leaving TPS um, ever, forever. I will be buried with my microphone in my TPS shirt. Uh, they will never take the show from me. So uh, two separate things. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be with you guys every single day. Uh, there'll be a little bit shorter format, a little bit shorter games. Uh, I'm trying to figure out whether I want to do them, whether I want to do before the game or kind of send them out afterwards as like a little post game. If you guys have any uh, have any thoughts about what you prefer, you guys can feel free to hit us up there. So that'll be fun to see. Um, I'm definitely not leaving Doc. This show is, is my uh, this this show is our baby. So uh, I had to make sure that I let y'all know TPS will be here to stay. Good thing too, because if I had to run this thing on my own, this show would suck. You have to spend a lot of money on your recording equipment. Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm speaking into my phone right now. So. <laughs> no, I would never I leave actually, this show. I did. I spent a ton on this thing. I would. I would never leave this. This is uh, this is my absolute favorite thing that I've ever done. Uh, but anyway, uh, enough about that. Getting back to it, uh, there there've been some uh, some recent hullabaloo about Bryce Harper. Obviously, we all know that he signed with the Phillies. So now we're all obligated to hate him even more because I don't know if it's just me, but uh, when you when you rank in terms of pure hatred, the Phillies are so much higher than the Nationals on my pure hatred scale. Like the Nationals haven't been around long enough. I still remember when they were the Expos and they were just basically the Marlins of now. Like I don't hate them. I don't have the same built-in hatred for the Nationals aside from the fact that they were just running the division for years. I don't have that same built-up hatred. Where like if I see Phillies jerseys, like I. I and no offense to John Stolnes, so I love John Stolnes. But if I see a faceless Philly jersey, like I, I want to punch it. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm kind of the same. Like the the Nationals, I yeah, I'd spent a lot of time with with them not even being a thing at all. And uh, Expos were like finishing school for so many so many great players uh, out there. So um, like all your Randy Johnsons and your and Vlad Guerreros and everything, Pedro Martinez, Brad Rains, Wilkerson's. So. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, uh, so yeah, I never, I never really hated Washington. They almost kind of, they were like, a, almost like an expansion franchise. You know what I mean? Where you get the all the new, uh, the new swag and everything, and they sucked for a long time. So they kind of carried that Marlins thing forward. But, um, but yeah, and even when they did turn into the behemoth, you know what I mean? And they were running it. Most of that was during the Braves rebuild, and we didn't have a lot of hopes for that anyway. See, for for me. For me, it's the Mets. My, my they're my number one. Of, 
Obviously, yeah. Obviously, they're my yeah. number one. We joke about this all the time, but your city's called Flushing. It's you could not pick a better city for the Mets to be playing in, or for their fan base. Um, the Mets, there's a special, there's a special place for the Mets and the the whole the whole thing with the Mets. But I will say this. The Phillies, now that they're starting to get good again, there's almost like a sense of camaraderie because they were going through their struggles at the same time as we were. It's like, hey, you guys suck. That's okay because we suck too. <laughs> Welcome to the suck and, table, guys. Right. And now, and, and last year, that was like the first time that the rivalry has meant anything in a long time. And, it's, and last year was very intense up until like the, um, I guess, when did they start falling apart? It was like mid-August? Like when when they, they kind of started to, to eat it a little bit. But now, I hate them for the same reason that I hated Steve Young when he was the quarterback of the 49ers, where it's like, you guys are so freaking dangerous. So dangerous all of the time. And every time I look at him, I'm like, you're going to kick our ass, aren't you? You are going <laughs> to kick our ass. And I, and I just I have that feeling. And, and I kind of had that feeling before they got Bryce. And, and I'm, I'm still incredibly optimistic about what the, about what the Braves can do in 2019, but we would be kind of foolish to not not fear a Phillies team that now has Bryce Harper on it. Uh, obviously, and what makes that even scarier is obviously what happened the other day where um, Bryce Harper mentions that uh, having the 13 years and having no opt-outs uh, means that he can really go out and recruit people to get to Philadelphia. There happens to be one particular name out there that everybody already knows is from New Jersey and is a huge fan of Philadelphia sports in general and whose timeline is filled with Fly Eagles Fly, talking about the NFL, talking about Mike Trout. And uh, Bryce Harper talking about that said you would be – if you don't think that after – I said I'm going to respect him while he's playing out his current contract, but if you don't think that the first call I'm making after the 2020 season is Mike Trout, you're absolutely crazy. Now, Brace fans are yelling, tampering, 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 trying to pitch a fit. Trying to, and the, the Angels actually filed a tampering clause there. Um, my question is to you, is that tampering more of a fact of how we just hate Harper even more because he's a Philly or more because we are just mortally terrified that it could actually work? Because I know which one it is for me. I think it's, I think it's both. I mean, I think the Angels do have a case because as soon as I saw him say that, I'm like, this this is you you can't do that the when when jeff passan broke the whole thing about copy it was uh it was talking about um how he reached out to an agent mid-season trying trying to go ahead and, and do some advanced recruiting of a, of a player and even the agent was like what in the hell are you doing you know you can't do that and that that was a covert thing. So when Harper's out here and he's basically making the announcement, like I'm going to bring Trout to Philly, like he didn't need your help, dude. He's he's from right across the way. He might have come to Philly anyway. But uh, but yeah, the the thought of an outfield that's got Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. It a really little bit. Does. The only way that you could tell yourself that uh that an outfield Mike Trout and Bryce Harper in the lineup is not going to be the number one team in the NL as if you're straight up lying to yourself. Because I can say that Ronald Acuna Jr., and it feels crazy to say this off one year, but I think I think Acuna is a better player than Harper and will remain a better player than Harper. I can see that. But when you get into the trial, you're talking about the best player of all time. When you start getting into the amount. Now, Bryce Harper's contract is very long, aside from, but it's $25 well, million. Yeah, that, well, that's what I mean. Uh, aside from being long, there's really nothing wrong with it. Because twenty five point four million dollars 
a year for a guy who's good who has the potential to do the type of damage that he can it's pretty crazy but and with a team with as much money as philadelphia that's a drop in the bucket i mean we talked with john last week there's still like 50 million under the luxury tax but when you start looking at having bryce harper and having mike trout that don't don't get me wrong it's obviously dangerous okay i'm and i'm it it terrifies me but when you start looking at the the how much money, even with the TV deal and even with the ability to spend stupid money, I mean, you're you're going to wind up locking up sixty five million dollars of your payroll in two guys. And even if you got a lot of flexibility, I'm sorry, I know that we we in British country are very sick of that word. Even with the, that that other f word, um, isn't that doesn't that kind of hamstring you a little bit, especially towards the back end? And listen, I'm not trying to say like. Listen, to, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. That was the weakest sounding thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> that's a that, you know, I, I understand how good they are, but uh, that, that's Bro, a right lot here. of money, I'm right? right don't use the voice. I'm right here. Listen, <laughs> man. I understand. I don't care how much money that is. You know what the Cubs did not think about when they were going for their World Series run? How much their payroll was. I, I Quite honestly, I do not care what you have to pay Mike Trout to have him on your team. If you can have Mike Trout on your team, if you have to pay him $40 million a year, if you have to pay him $50 million a year, it's Mike Trout, man. He's instantly going to make you, as long as you don't have a god-awful team around him, like you've got some semblance of actual Major League pitching, he makes you a preeminent team, and that lineup is infinitely better. Like, I, I'm not going to say, oh, $65 million, that's a lot. It is a lot of money if you're Atlanta, but Philadelphia, the scary thing is they have plenty of money to be able to absorb that, especially when you consider the deal that Aaron Nola just took. Like What, $10 million, $10 million for Aaron Nola? So that's not too shabby. $75 million for those three doesn't seem like that bad of a deal now. What I'm saying, though, is, like, if they even, you know what, what you know what, let him, let him come here. Let, let Mike Trout come here. Let, let's, let's see what happens when he get here. You say you can't hate Mike Trout? You put that stupid P on his hat? I bet you'll hate him. I bet you hate his guts. Guarantee you, you I won't. You won't refer to him as the best of all time anymore. Guarantee you I won't. I physically cannot hate a player of that magnitude. No, and and I I believe me, there's no no part of me that wants something like that to happen. Like, but, uh, have you ever I, seen that I, Brooklyn Nine Nine episode where they're in witness protection in Florida, and uh, yeah. Peralta sitting in the hot tub eating the burrito and crying? That would be yeah. me if my trout to Philly. Oh, hot tub, hot tub, and just crying. <laughs> I would, I would be, I would be unable to hate him. I would just, I would, I would still, I would probably cry for real. No, I mean, I, I, I still, you do still have to have the rest of your team fill out. You know what I mean? And this, and th- this is the point that I'm trying to make about having payroll. It doesn't matter whether you're the Phillies or the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Cubs or anybody who has got the ability to spend. At, there is a cap of what they can actually do. And truthfully, I'm not even, I'm not even so much worried. I'm. Uh, not that I'm not worried. First off, I don't think Trout's leaving L.A. Because I don't think – because no matter what Artie Moreno does, he does not want his legacy yeah. to be the GM he that let Mike Trout <laughs> he can't. Walk. He can't be the guy that lost Mike Trout. 
Right. So, that's so, like I my one saving grace. I've given up on the fact that Atlanta could actually sign him. I know that's not going to happen. So like, oh, I'm like, no. I'm focusing like all of my energy and all of my good vibes to Artie Marino and to Mike Trip. Like, please sign there. Please stay there. Please, please. That's why I consider the Angels like they're my my favorite AL team, just because they're the Braves West. Like, just just keep there with a lot of the other Braves players, and I like you guys just fine. So you've already got the best player ever. You got my favorite Brave in Angleton. Just just keep getting some some ex Braves players, and and I'll just don't let him go to the Phillies. That's like my one overriding prayer. Don't let him go to the Phillies. Don't let him go to the Yankees. I would much rather have Trout on the Yankees than the Phillies. Not even a question. It would but just even, seem even so there. much of a sellout. It would seem like you're joining the evil empire. Well, yeah, but everybody goes in place for the Yankees eventually. But even they wouldn't even be able to afford them. Speaking of teams with stupid money that are, you know, because what the, everything they've got locked up, you know, the, the deal for Stanton and the deal for Harper are remarkably similar. But even for having extensions for guys like Aaron Hicks, and you know, you've got it locked down and everything, and you're going to have to extend Judge and Torres and all these different guys, right? Like, the Yankees are very smart about spending stupid money, but they're they're like everybody's got their cap, and I and I do think that uh, it is kind of a bad move, even if it is Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. It is a bad move to have two guys taking up sixty five percent of your payroll. I just have to excuse me sixty five uh, million dollars on your payroll. I, I think you're trying to find a a dark cloud in that silver lining there because I don't think that there's a single team in baseball that if Mike Trout's agent said, hey. Mike wants to play for you guys, that they would not sign him immediately. Uh, luxury tax or no, other than maybe even, Liberty Media. Um, even with that even with that being the case, they still have to field a team around those sure. two guys. And it is hard to field a competitive team when you've got two guys taking up $65 million of your payroll, even with – I'm just saying – I'm. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Uh, we'll we'll just agree to disagree on that point because I'm going to sit there and I'm going to continue to say that if if those two were to team up in Philadelphia, I would be like I would I would hate the city of Philadelphia more than ever. I still wouldn't hate Trout, but I would hate the city of Philadelphia and my envy. I might literally turn green. Like the the amount of just sheer envy, I might actually explode. Uh, but moving on from that, because I don't like, I don't like disagreeing with my partner over here. I can't believe you used the voice on me. <laughs> Sorry, man, but you know how weak that sounded. When you go back and you listen to yourself using that that explanation, you're like, oh man, you know it. Anyway, just cut it. Just cut the whole segment. <laughs> we didn't need to talk about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, now of course the the most obvious thing is now that Bryce Harper is officially signed with the Phillies. Everybody's throwing out their new predictions for what the division is going to look like this season. Uh, is it surprising to you, Doc, that the Braves are coming up fourth on a lot of these guys' projections? No, but I also think that there's. You know, we we've, we've talked to I, we use the same word a lot to describe the division, and that's that's dogfight, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that's that's very accurate. And I think that any way you cut it, uh, I wouldn't put the Braves fourth, but I I would I don't I wouldn't put them first either. I would have them either either second or third. Um, I think that uh, it is going to be tightly clustered. I think the Mets will be the first crater. Part of part of that being the fact that I, as I said, I hate the Mets, but I, I also <laughs> think that. Of, of the four, I think that they are least equipped to compete for the duration of the season. Um, if the, I would say Washington is, is my number one. I think that not having Bryce around and having somebody who's a lot more unassuming, like a, like a Soto, 
and even even Robles and and having uh, having Eaton come back, I think having um, somebody like Max Scherzer being a leader on that team and having Anthony Rendon being like the the a number one uh, position player. Um, you know, the dude looks like a conquistador when he when he's got the hair all grown out and everything. And that's very respectable. They were great leaders, even though they were a little uh, a little brutal. So um, I would have Washington as number one. I think that Philly and Atlanta are going to wind up uh, fighting for that wild card uh, as it stands now. I have a lot more faith in Atlanta's pitching, as strange as that seems. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if I, if I had to, to rank the division as it sits now, I would go Washington – Atlanta, Philly, New York, and then the Marlins are going to win 44 games. I would agree with you about about Washington. I think uh, I think they're just the most well balanced team in the division when you consider their starting rotation, their bullpen, their defense, and their lineup. I think they're just they they don't really have a a real weakness. Now they have Trevor Rosenthal in, their, in the back end of their pen as well. Um, they got Kyle Baraclaw, who's outstanding as well. They've they've got some some really good pieces. Sean Doolittle is one of the best in the game. They've, they've just got uh, maybe their four and five starter, depending on how Eric Fetty does this year. Maybe the back end of their starting rotation is a little weak, but it's it's not particularly strong throughout the rest of this division. Um, I I get what you're saying with the Braves and the Phillies. I actually think that we're a lot more evenly spaced um, than than a lot of people think. Uh, I think the biggest difference is going to come down to I think the Phillies are better than us offensively. I think we're better defensively. So it's kind of going to be a, a good barometer for um, for which wins more games, offense or defense, because as far as pitching staffs go, I think we're pretty much a wash. Uh, Aaron Nola is better than anybody that we have, but the the overall rotation of ours, I think we're better through our fifth starter than they are through their fifth because I think Arietta is is kind of a liability there. Uh, I'm a big fan of Nick Pavetta. I think he's uh, he's very very good. If they add Dallas Keuchel to the mix as well, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Dallas Keuchel, that would shore them up immensely just as far as having some depth goes. Because Eflin is is kind of a wild card, as is Vince Velasquez. Their bullpen. I'm not ready to say their bullpen is atrocious. I don't think their bullpen is is worse than ours at all. I think uh, I think we might be a little bit deeper in the bullpen, but I think they're a little bit more talented at the top end. I think Sir Anthony Dominguez and David Robertson are better than anybody in our bullpen. Um, so Victor Arano, see what he can do. Edward Ramos is, is kind of pretty promising. So I think I think you're right. I'm not. I don't think that the Braves and Phillies will be separated by more than a game and a half. Either way, I could honestly see the teams ended up with the same record. Um, then I, I also think uh, Mets and then the Marlins. The Mets, I like a lot of the things that they have especially for this season. The problem is going to be everybody else in the division got so good when you're considering the Marlins or when you're considering the, the Nationals and the Phillies that it kind of it, – it's not a great idea for what the Mets ended up doing. They went fully in on winning now, but they didn't get any of the biggest pieces in the division aside from adding Edwin Diaz, which is phenomenal. Their bullpen is by far their, – their pitching staff from their number one starter all the way through to their closer, by far the best in the division. It's everything else around them. Uh, whether Lagaris can actually hit enough to to stay in center field, or whether they're going to be stupid enough to run Conforto or Nemo out there in center field again, um, they've got a lot of players that play the same position, and a lot of them are, are older players. So injuries are going to be a concern, even aside from the fact that it's the Mets, and injuries are always a concern. So I, I, I kind of agree with you. I won't be shocked to see the I won't be shocked to see the Braves in the Phillies if they end up having the exact same record this year. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that and. And this is something that, that we had kind of 
touched on a, a little bit before we even started recording is like the ability for organic development. You know, if, if something happens to Fulty, then that, that is obviously a blow, but this, this is why you wind up getting pitcher after pitcher after pitcher. And so many of the big steps that got taken forward by Aaron Nola and Nick Pavetta and Zach Eflin came after they started working with Rick Kranitz, who is now the Braves pitching coach. Now, depending on how much stock you put into that and how much you think that, that some of the, the guys coupled with the, the new analytics and everything that's being implemented for, cause I mean, they've got Kevin Gossman because they think that he can be like the guy, you know what I mean? Like they, they honestly think that Kevin Gossman can be a number one, like Fulty Gossman in their mind is, is like up there with, uh, DeGrom and center guard, you know what I mean? And, and who knows whether, whether it's rearranging like uh, the sequencing or, or anything for that, that could be a big deal. But if you also filter that through Rick Kranitz and you take that type of positivity, cause the dude is super positive. What, watch an interview with him. Like he's, he's really, really interesting. Um, and having, having that and these young impressionable minds, the, the two keys and, and free, I mean, just cause Freed's not on a, on a prospect list anymore. Like he's still a really young guy. And, and Soroka and Wright and any of these guys that could wind up making a huge impact. The ability for organic development of all these guys, I think the Braves have the upper hand there versus what you saw with Philly with, you know, Nola's obviously great. He, some of his stuff was uh, illusory last year. Like there's some of the things might have been, um, his numbers might have been better than he actually was. Not by much, but, but maybe just a little bit. He's still fantastic. Uh, but guys like Pavetta and guys like Eflin, they've kind of already taken that step forward. And if that's as far as Pavetta's going to go, or if that's as far as Eflin's going to go, then you're still dealing with guys whose ultimate ceilings are a three on their best day or a quad A guy on their worst. So I'm not – Philly's offense is preposterous, and playing 81 games in that ballpark is really going to pad a lot of stats – but the good news is, is that they have to have teams come in and play 81 games against them in those parks too. You know, it's a small park for everybody. So, and when you've got pitching that's not going to be a elite level outside of Nola, because Arietta is not the same guy that he was before, then there could be some really high-scoring games played in Philadelphia next year. And uh, I, I think that uh, I think that the Braves just based on the the breadth of the pitching that they that they've got, um, if you if you get some health in there. And you you get some of that organic development, like if Soroka can come back and he's the guy that he showed he was for those five starts, and and Kyle Wright can continue what he did during spring training. I, I think that there's a real good possibility that we could have some of the best pitching in the division. Washington Washington is killer, and you know that if I was going to build build a team from scratch, Max Scherzer would be the first pitcher that I took, and Degrom but would be the, the one that I took. Right, and and just so happens that they're that they're both in the division. But I, I think there could be some really really good pitching going on in Atlanta this year. And and I I'm my rose colored glasses, uh, my my optimistic slant. It could wind up coming back to bite me in the ass. But where I'm sitting now, I, I still have a ton of faith in this team. So a lot of been a lot of focus has been made on what wasn't done, but I, I don't think that nearly enough focus has been made on what was done. I think uh, I think when you're talking about what was or wasn't done, I think the biggest thing about not really bringing in a lot of players or really being players in this free agency is 
now it is absolutely essential that some that at least one or two of these young guys take a mammoth leap forward. I think you've kind of cut down on you've you've kind of decreased your your margin of error. Everything has to go right. But I'm not going to be I'm not going to be overly negative about the Braves. I wouldn't be shocked. Like I said, I think we're a very good team. Uh, I would have liked to see us be a little bit more active, especially when you look at in context of what everybody else added in the division. But I do still think that they're, you know, having a player like Ronald Acuna is always the next factor. I, I will be honest; I won't be shocked if he puts out a nine more season this year. I will not be shocked if he puts out a Mookie Betts or a Mike Trout season. I really won't be. Um, I've said I don't think I'm, he's the type of player that struggles in year two. That just doesn't seem to be his type of game. I think Albies kind of settles into being in between his first half and second half numbers. I think Johan continues to take a step forward. I'm very excited for what the Braves have. Uh, like I said, I still think the Braves are the number two or number three team in the division. I won't be shocked if they pull out a win. I think that they most certainly have the ceiling to win it. It just depends on, on what level they get to play to, what level what level you the breaks end up, and how injuries end up falling. But uh, one thing's for certain, you got about 20 days from the time that this kicks off on Friday before the games start to matter. And uh, here at the Platinum Sombrero, we cannot wait to be there with you. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to go ahead and cut this one for the day. Uh, Catch you guys next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Okay, thanks. Bye.